We are in week three of our series called Masterpiece, and we're talking about family, and we've been taking this art theme in this series to help us to, uh, to, um, to use, just use it as a symbol to be able to talk about some things and make it accessible to you and understandable for you. And uh, there was, uh, just a couple years ago, in France, someone, it was an old historic house, and uh, someone, they had a leaky roof, and they went into the attic to fix it. And that part of the attic had been sealed off, and so to get to the damage that the leaky roof had caused, they had to open up that attic space. And inside, true story, they found a painting that the estimated worth is $136 million just hidden there in their attic. Can you imagine that? <laughs> like, who was the person who put it up there? Why did they seal it off? Like, what were they thinking? How could something of that valuable and that rare have been forgotten? And they, they think for like 400 years. How could that have happened? Why, if you had something that valuable, why would you ever lose it? Why would you ever hide it? Why wouldn't you tell anybody it was there? Why wouldn't you give it to someone else? Why wouldn't you put it in a place where you could enjoy it? How possibly could you lose something that valuable? Some of us, we'd love to discover something like that in our own home. You know, it's just the dream, you know. You, you, you go fishing through the attic and you find something that's very valuable and very rare or... Um, you know, maybe you're digging in your backyard, planting a, a new bush now that it's finally springtime today, and then you discover a treasure box or, or some time capsule that's worth a ton of money. In 2008, Michelle and I were redoing a house that we were in, and we ripped down all the walls in the bathroom, and we discovered a whole bunch of razor blades, because that's where they used to put them in the 50s. They just drop them right into the wall there, so nothing valuable, but uh, we might have discovered or unlocked, like, uh, some diseases that they thought had been eradicated. Um, but we, we just dream of that. We wish that would happen to us. And guys, as we go into our message this morning, I, you know, I think you can. I think you can discover something like that. And I think if you search hard enough, you'll find it. You'll find something valuable. You'll find a treasure. And in our message today, and man, I really hope in, in this week, in the days to come, you would discover how valuable your family is. It's the most valuable possession you have. It's not that antique car. It's not that, uh, it's not that, uh, stop, that watch, that pocket watch that your great-grandfather gave you. Um, it's not even a piece of art. The most valuable family, you ha- the most val- valuable possession you have is your family. And I wonder, have you forgotten the value of family? Has our culture forgotten the value of family? It is extremely valuable to God. Your family and the family unit is extremely valuable to God. If you got your Bibles, open to Exodus chapter 20. It's so valuable that God included the family in two of the Ten Commandments. And maybe you never like kind of realized that or put those two things together, but the Ten Commandments are kind of famous. A lot of people know what those are, and they're symbolic of the things that are valuable to God and the things that are important to God. And um, uh, just a little bit of background of that, in case you're not familiar, one of the guys in that, uh, that is important in the history of Christianity and Judaism is a guy by the name of Moses. And God used him 
to free the nation of Israel out of uh, slavery from the nation of Egypt. And so God used him in a, in a miraculous way, and two to three million people were able to be freed from slavery. And God had said, listen, follow me, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land. I've got this part of the world that's especially for you. And uh, because they couldn't completely trust God, because they wouldn't completely obey God, they spent the next 40 years uh, never entering that promised land, but really uh, being a nomadic culture, living in tents and having to travel around, never able to enter that. And one of the things that Moses would do is he would climb Mount Sinai and he would interact with God there. He would pray to God and God would talk to him. And it was scary for the people because sometimes when Moses was up there, there'd be lightning and clouds and thunder and they'd be terrified. And different miraculous things would happen. And one of the things, uh, one of the times when he came down from Mount Sinai, he had the two tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments on it. And God was saying, this is what I value. This is uh, what will define you as a people and as, as a nation. So in Exodus 20, verse number 12, we uh, it's the fifth commandment, but the first one that revolves, that's centered around family. And it says, honor your father and your mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And God has given us this commandment, not just so your kids will do what you tell them to, but honoring parents is meant to preserve the authority of parents in family matters. That you honor what your parents believe and you honor, what your parents teach you and you honor what your parents tell you. This is complicated uh, sometimes for us because how as adults do we honor our parents? How do we, how as a teenager do you honor a parent who's vile and abusive? How, how do you, um, how, how do you as a Christian honor a parent who, um, who's maybe ungodly or who's against Christianity? How do you do that? And that's a difficult Thing to learn because you can't always obey them because sometimes even parents lead their kids to do the wrong things. But, it, but honoring is not something that is optional. The second commandment or the second commandment about family, if you uh, move your figure down to verse number 17, it says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And it says right there in the middle, of, you must not covet your neighbor's wife. These commandments is protecting the sanctity of marriage. And you hear people sometimes argue about marriage politically and, and, and philosophically on both sides of it. And some are against it, some are for it. Some say it's, oh, it's tradition, it's outdated, so, you know, and we need to move something new. Some people are trying to protect it. And this isn't that. God is not trying to make a political argument here. God, as the, uh, as the, the establisher of humanity, the creator of the family, He's trying to show us how important it is. So maybe you're there already and you're like, all right, I guess it's important, but why exactly is it important? Why did God make it? Why does God care about it? Because it was not just by accident that he designed it that way. Uh, a couple of things to see, just so you know, to like establish 
this, um, uh, this understanding. The family is important because it's the family unit that carries the message of God. And as a family who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus, and that may not be you and not your family, but to understand where we're coming from and why it's important to us as followers of Jesus is because we're carrying the message of God. Our mission as a family, so my mission as a Gagney, Nate Gagney, my mission as a Gagney family and your mission in your family, it is the same as the church. Not just this church, but, but every Christian church in the whole world. We're to do what Jesus called us to do. We're to share the good news about who he is, and we're to disciple others and help them to learn how to follow him. We're to reach just one more. That is the mission of your family as followers of Jesus, and that has to be our mission. God designed it that way, that we would pass it down to our kids and our grandkids from one generation to another, and that as a family we would share it with those that we're interacting with. Also, secondly, the family is an example of the church. So your family unit is to function in the same way that a church body should function in. And, it, and it's an example to people. As they look at your family and say, man, you have a great family. It should be an example of a great church. That within your family, you experience love and you give love. You experience forgiveness and you offer forgiveness. That you have hospitality for those who are outside your family. And that you serve other people together. You serve people who, who, who aren't part of your family and you serve each other. This is the design for the family and this is what God's called the family to. And these, this is why the family is important. At youth convention on, on Friday night... Um, Michelle and my kids were there the whole time um, and, uh, with me. And so the Friday night service is maybe 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And my kids are there. Uh, um, the four-year-old, he's sleeping on the bench at this point. But the, the other three kids, I mean, they're, they're there and they're participating. My five-year-old, he's crying. And uh, so I don't know what's going on. Is he just overtired? Did someone step on his foot? You, you know, like what's going on here so I mean the band's still playing at 10 o'clock at night and and I leaned down over to him I said hey buddy why are you crying and he he wiped his eyes and then he he came to my leg and said something I couldn't hear him so I sat down on the chair and brought him right in front of me you know where I could hear him I said bud why are you crying and he said I feel bad for I, I, I feel sad for all the bad things I did when I was three, four, and five. <laughs> so in that, in that moment, like, isn't it, to me, like, I was just awestruck because um, we look at the conviction of God as a bad thing, but here's a five-year-old, and God's responding to him and convicting him of his, of his sins. So at that, that moment, I said, you know what, buddy? If you ask God to forgive you, He'll forgive you, and you don't have to feel bad about it anymore. Do you want to pray to God? They said he did. So I led him in a prayer, and I said, you, you know, I said, you pray this, God, forgive me of, my, of the bad things I did. And he prayed it. And I could have, I could have gone into some specific situations, but we just kept it generalized. And, <laughs> and we prayed, and, and he wiped his eyes, and I said, and so he said, amen. I said, you don't have to feel bad about those things anymore. 
God has forgiven you and God doesn't remember him anymore. And there was this real special moment with him. And, and so this morning he started a brand new list. And, uh, <laughs> but that moment with him, and then as I responded to him with love and compassion, that is, that is an example of how God responds to me. God responds to me with compassion and generosity and forgiveness. And, and it's an example, that example between he and I is an example of how, not just how God responds to me, but how God responds to you. With compassion and love and excitement for you to recognize the things in your life that have drawn uh, away from him, the, things that, the areas in your life that are imperfect, the areas in your life that are even wrong. We think that God in that moment is screaming at us, ticked off, like, that's right. You know, when you were three years old and you wet the bed on purpose, or that time you wet the bedroom, like, yeah, that's right. Uh, I got a little TMI there. So, yeah, uh, I, God's forgiven him. So, um, <laughs> you know, we think that God's just going to respond with wrath and anger. But God, when we recognize where we are, man, he's, he sits down in the chair. And looks us in the eyes and holds our hand. He says, let's, pr let's pray. Let's pray. Let's move on from this. Don't let this keep you back anymore. Let me show you grace. Let me show you love. Let me show you mercy. This is, I mean, maybe your family's not like this, but this, but the family was designed to show people how great and good God is. So we have this valuable treasure, the family. You look at your situation like, man, that's not, that's not that way for us. And as we look at that and we look at even just our country, um, just wonder, like, we've got this valuable treasure, but is it lost in an attic somewhere? Have people just forgotten that it even exists? And we're beginning to see, uh, there's been enough time that they've been tracking this. We're beginning to see that culturally, it, it seems like people are, are neglecting it. Like, oh, man, that's that old thing. Nobody wants that anymore. Like, tuck it away. And not realizing what it is and whose who's pen, whose signature is in the corner. They're not realizing um, what they have opportunity to experience, how rare it is, how beautiful it is. They're just not seeing it, and so they're neglecting it. And in our country, um, over, uh, since 1976, uh, the amount of singles we have in our country has gone from 37% to 50%. There's people who, who aren't married, and so if you're single, there's nothing bad about that. You don't need a relationship to complete any part of you. All right, and if your God has designed you to be single for the rest of your life, don't ever feel less than. Don't feel like um, you're missing something because because you, you don't have a spouse or you don't have children. If you live God's plan for your life, I mean that is the best plan you can ever live. Don't don't feel like you're missing out. Closeness to God is is it. That's what you want. Obedience to God is it. That's what you want. But the you know the amount of singles is increasing not because necessarily that um, they're just people are, are, are getting married and it's just, you know, it's just coincidence. But one of the reasons that's happening is because people don't want marriage. 
says, I'm done with that. It didn't work for my parents, didn't work for my siblings, didn't work for my grandparents. I don't want anything to do with that. And, they, and they've stiff-armed it. They've just said, that's not something that's for me. That's old, that's outdated, that's man-made, that's not helpful for me. Between 1960 and 2016, the percentage of children living in families with two parents decreased from 88% to 69%. You can think, oh, 69%, that's better than I thought it was. But that includes the 3 million children in our country living with parents who are unmarried. It's not that they're living within parents who are married. They're living in a home where even uh, if they have both parents there, those parents are saying, uh, marriage is not for us. We, we love each other. We love our kids. And, and we're, but, but we are not going to get married. It's just been lost. How valuable this is, how, how valuable this commitment is. And for some, you know, they have this valuable treasure and they look at it and you're like, you know, I just don't want to even deal with maintaining this anymore. I don't want to deal with the upkeep anymore. I don't want to deal with looking, this, looking at this anymore. And the, they're taking this valuable possession that they have in there, throwing it away. According to the Pew Research Center, um, that the divorce rate for married people age 50 and older is about double what it was in the, in the 1990s. Double. So it's beginning to say, like, we have something. We have history. We have years. I don't want to deal with that anymore. I need, a, I need something new. I need a fresh start. According to the data from the National Center for Health Statistics and the U.S. Center, uh, Census Bureau, the divorce rate for those age 65 and older has tripled since 1990. It, we're seeing people age 65, age 70, age 80, even I read one article a couple years ago about a couple in their 90s who got divorced. And you're taking something that, that is supposed to be so valuable and saying, I don't want this anymore. We've got this valuable treasure and I wonder, like, is it, is it maybe even just being misused? And I say this delicately, and I always do, and I, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, harass anybody, or point fingers at everybody. You know, this message is going four services uh, in three different cities, and so there's no way for me to, um, uh, so I'm not going to use this opportunity to pick on one person in our church, but to, but it is important that I, that I talk about what God has for us and the opportunities that he has for us and the design he has for us and present that to you. So what you do with that after this is your problem. But imagine you find a $136 million piece of art in your attic and you think this is going to make a great Pinterest project. And you take it downstairs and you start cutting away the piece of it so you can make a couple throw blankets out of it. Or... Or you, uh, you, you know, you're like, oh man, this is so good. You know, I'm going to turn this into a coffee table. Or, or you, you're like, oh, this piece, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get spray paint on my my grass. You put it on the ground, and then you you pay, pay, spray paint a pogo stick gold, and you're just like ruining this painting and, and using it. Imagine if you're misusing a hundred and thirty-six million dollar piece of art. And I would suggest that if you are in a relationship where you're living together, you're misusing something valuable. 
people who lived together before marriage, uh, uh, according to statistics, saw a 33% higher rate of divorce than those who waited to, to live together until after they were married. Why is that so? You would think they've, they've got it figured out. They would know at that point that they're compatible before they got married because, and here's what I believe, it's because they're treating something as, they're treating their most valuable possession as ordinary. When you treat something as ordinary, you can't begin to see it as special anymore. It's not something worth waiting for. It's not something worth believing for. It's not something worth making a commitment for. And you treat it as ordinary. And how do you treat some ordinary, like, oh, there's just that old painting over there. It's that old painting, old painting, old painting. You don't realize that if you were protected and take care of it, it could be it could be your, your, your retirement, your inheritance, your, your blessing. It could be all of those things for you. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in 1955, he, he gave a speech um, about the family and the value of family. And I want to read part of that speech to you. He said, one of the main things that brought Rome to the junk heap of destruction was not the opposition of the enemy without the gate but the disintegration of family life within the homes. Home life in Rome frequently descended into orgies of sexuality and license in which the true value perished. If we aren't careful, the same thing will happen in America and our nation will sink to the level of a third or fourth rate power in world affairs. The relentless lesson of history cannot be escaped. And that is, when the family structure begins to break down, the structure of the nation itself begins to crack and crumble. When your family disintegrates, it affects the nation. We don't think of it as having that such overarching importance, that such uh, like overarching power. But in the same way, when your family is strong and when you value your family and you protect your family, the entire nation benefits from that. Sometimes, unfortunately, we don't realize what we had until it's gone. You know, maybe you're one of those people you regret Sell, like trading in all your video games and video game systems from your childhood or, or bringing that box of, of rare toys to Goodwill and you're like, man, I wish I could get those back. If you're someone who's, you've gone through a divorce and, and, and it has been difficulty, don't feel any condemnation from me in this message. God is a God of restoration. And so uh, we'll be, that's our next series that we'll be going in. So man, it, God can do something in your life today to just, to just heal you. Um, and, and sometimes you just can't control how other people treat their most valuable possessions. But that doesn't mean God doesn't value you. But you're, maybe you're here and you think like, man, you don't know my family. You don't know. It's not a valuable possession. It's really not, it's really not worth anything. Listen, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose it. You will, you, it's going to cause you more heartache and more pain than you could ever realize to just walk away from it. You'll have more regret over that one decision than any other decision in your life. That family in France, the only reason they discovered that painting is because they went to fix a leaky roof. 
And what I would, what I want to do as we come to the end of our message is to encourage you to begin fixing some leaky roofs in your relationship, in your family. And I think if you begin to work on, and what I try to do is come up with a few that, that are common but, not rare, but rarely ever talked about. Just little leaky roofs that bring destruction. Little leaky roofs that get on our painting and destroy it. And I believe if you go through the process of fixing these, if you go to those sealed off spaces of your heart and your life and, and, and begin to investigate these leaks and fix these leaks, you will discover something valuable. So the first leak is that of complacency. Proverbs 5.18 says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice. This word, maybe you don't understand it. This, this word means be glad. Be glad of the wife of your youth. And, and, and so um, it's arguable, but I probably like still at least those who are decades older than me say, it must be so nice to be young. I'm like, I'm getting old now. This gray hair, like you can't hide it. And, um, but rejoice in the wife of your youth. And so just think about why are these couples in their 50s and 60s and 70s getting divorced? Because at some point in their relationship, they became complacent in it. They didn't keep working on it. They didn't keep fanning the flames of romance. They didn't keep caring for each other. And they just got complacent. Your most valued possession, it's not something to be stuck in the attic. It's something to be framed. And, and, and so you're not just complacent in what you own and what you have. You're, you're tending it. You're caring for it. You're, you're, you know, you're making sure that, that it's not going to be ruined. You don't just leave it in the corner of the attic to just like, oh, whatever. Like I've had that old thing forever. It's no big, it's whatever. Like you're not... You don't act like that. And so, man, I just encourage you, like, man, to begin to, to stare at them from across the room. Take a deep breath and, and just slowly exhale it and just like, wow, thank you, God, for a good man in my life. Thank you, God, for a good woman in my life who put up with all my garbage over all these decades, who forgave me and had grace for me and was kind to me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you, God. And don't be complacent and don't take each other for granted. Second leaky roof is that of irritability and impatience. First Peter 4.8 says, most of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. We like to, we quote, we talk about this verse often because it, it's so helpful for us to re remember, like, man, we're going to let these little things uh, take away from what God wants to do in our life. We're not going to let these little just leaks just keep uh, destroying what God has for us and destroying what 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 God has given us. And when, what happens when you love each other, you begin to have grace for each other in these other areas of life. So we don't let stupid things like laundry or dishes or chores or bills ruin 
the most valuable thing that we have. And when love is our focus and cultivating love is our focus, we forgive so many of these little stupid things. We have grace for each other. The third leaky roof is that of unhealthy communication. Colossians 4 verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're, you know, I, just, I, I mentioned this a second ago, but we, we speak so sharply to each other. We speak so angrily to each other. Our, our kids are like, dad, 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 dad. You're ignoring them, you're not answering them. They're like, dad, 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 dad. Trying to get your attention. And finally, they, what do you want? And you yell at them and they're just trying to talk to you. Your spouse, you know, uh, you're, you're trying to dialogue and you're rolling your eyes at each other and you're raising your voice at each other. You're name calling each other. Like these are the little leaks that, uh, that are destroying your, their most valuable possession. And we, you know, we say, well, this is just our relationship. Like, we, you know, we just, we just name call. We just cuss at each other. We just scream at each other. Listen, I don't care if that's your relationship or not. You are allowing, you are allowing your words to ruin a, a, a multi-million dollar possession. Not just unhealthy in our communication with our spouse, but unhealthy communication with our children. And you're just always exasperated by them. And they try to talk to you. And you're like, man, would you stop bothering me? Would you stop talking? Turn on the TV. Leave me alone. Stop bothering me. I need my alone time. And you're, you're just, that these, these moments and these years that we have with them, we're, we're, we're not even, uh, uh, we're just not healthy in the things that we say. And then the last leak that I want to talk about is that of unhealthy action. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I think every dad, like, loves to annoy their children, you know, and most of it's playful. And you like to tease them and have fun with them, but you don't stop. And you just keep harassing them, playing with them until they get angry and they freak out. And then you punish them because they freaked out. Like you provoke them to anger and then you punish them for, for, for responding exactly the way you taunted them to respond. That's unhealthy. We're unhealthy in, in how we, we interact. And listen, healthy actions involves physical touch. Like to hug your kids, kiss your kids, spend time with your kids. I have all boys, but, uh, so, but from everything I've read from uh, Christian uh, uh, psychologists and Christian pediatri pediatricians, one of the things that's affecting the girls in our culture is because everything's so sexualized that for a dad, when his daughter begins to develop, he doesn't know how to respond to her anymore because he doesn't want to seem like a creep or, or, or a weirdo. And so whether the girl's 9, 10, 14 years old, as soon as she begins to mature into a woman, he begins having physical touch with her. So he's, he's not kissing her anymore. He's not hugging her anymore. He's not sitting, letting her sit on his lap anymore because he just doesn't want to be weird. But she doesn't know that's his intent. And so as she, what she begins to internalize is, he doesn't like me anymore. I'm not worth anything to him more anymore. And something breaks in her heart and she begins to try to find that affection that you always gave her from somewhere else. 
It's unhealthy action to withdraw yourself from your child. Now there's healthy and appropriate physical touch, obviously. But physical touch should always be a part of your relationship with your children. It should always, and I shouldn't have to say this, be a part of your relationship with your spouse. Because something fires in our, in our, in our, in our entire skin, and our entire body when someone puts a hand on our shoulder. Something, something kicks on. And something as simple as that. Listen, if your family is falling apart and it's, it's just disintegrating, like the very fabric of the canvas, the paint's peeling off. If your family's falling apart, you do everything you can to save it. If you've got a $136 million painting and water's gotten on or the paint starts peeling off of it, you don't just at that point like, oh man, shucks. Oh man, I guess there's nothing I can do about it now. You know, you take that painting to every expert you can. You pay an insane amount of money to get that painting restored. You take that out of the conditions it's in. You do anything you can to save that painting. And if your family's falling apart, don't you sit here and say, well, there's nothing I can do. They've made up their mind. You fight for that family, for that child, for that relationship, for that marriage until you cannot anymore. And maybe that's, Maybe that's the point where um, they've left, they've remarried. Maybe it's, uh, uh, you, you just, there's a point where you move on. But that point for you is probably not today. There's a time when, when, you, when you just keep fighting. And, and, and if the spouse is out of the picture, you still have a relationship with those children. So don't you be the parent who says, my kids don't want to have anything to do with me. I try calling them, they don't call me back. You fight to protect what's most valuable to you. Don't you ever give up on that. Don't you ever give up believing and hoping that God can bring reconciliation, that God can bring restoration, that God can change. Um, and, and, and before you, you know, think like God changed your heart, you're really thinking, God, there's got to be some way you can change my heart. Do something in me because I don't want to be the one destroying this painting, like taking a Sharpie to it and drawing a mustache. I don't want to be the one who's ruining the most valuable thing you've ever given me. And the, the beauty of, of this entire thing and what's supposed to happen is you start off, you get married and you, there's nothing. You're just building this family, painting this picture. What's supposed to happen is that it grows more valuable over time. At the beginning, it doesn't look like nothing. It doesn't look like a masterpiece. It doesn't look like anybody's ever going to want everything to do. But you know what happens after 50 years? You know what happens after 60 years? It becomes the possession that's handed down from one generation to the next. It becomes an heirloom. And your grandchildren see their great-grandparents who still love each other and they something in their heart even though everybody in the whole world is saying marriage is invaluable marriage is stupid marriage is is a is a shackle and chain it's not anything you really want to be a part of even though the entire culture may be seeing that that grandkid says i want that one day 
when, you know, when the kids see their mom and dad who love each other and, and fight for each other and are just committed to each other. They have a hope in their heart like, man, I want that for my life one day. It's to be our most prized possession. And what you have is more valuable than you realize. If you close your eyes, I want to take a moment and pray for you. Jesus, sometimes we, these leaky roofs have gone on for so long and we, we, you know, we start inspecting the damage and we think, well, there's mold everywhere, there's plaster damage, um, you know, sheathing needs to be replaced. Like, there's so much damage here that this, this house needs to be condemned. There's, there's nothing that can be done to save it. And, and we just feel like maybe we need to tear it down and start all over again. And God, you... You who have the power to speak and create a universe, you have the power to, to, to fix uh, damage. You have the power to change a family. You have a power to unite a heart of, of, a, um, of, a, of a child and his parents. You have the, the power to unite spouses. You have a power to bring a family together. And we pray in Jesus' name that it would be done. That this attack trying to destroy the family and trying to destroy this blessing that you've given us, we would stand up against it and we would say, not this house, me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And we would be determined to, to be caretakers and to be stewards and to even frame and show off the great goodness of our God that he would bless us with something like this. For anybody in here, Jesus, who's never made a decision to follow you, I pray right now they would hear of you, they would hear of your hope, and they would determine right now to give their life to you and follow you and follow your ways. And I pray they would pray that prayer to you right now in Jesus' name. As you sit there in this service, I just want you to begin to dream I want you to dream about what could be. And I want you to thank God for what you have. Maybe your kids are misbehaved. Maybe, maybe your spouse neglects you, but you thank God for them. You be gracious for them. You get to work fixing some leaky roofs. And he's going to do what he can do.